0: Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime. Ready when you are, CB. Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 198. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to review and discuss Brave, a film that recently celebrated its 10th anniversary. I remember seeing this movie in the theaters, and I can't believe that was 10 years ago already. Same. This movie does not feel 10 years... This movie... I keep thinking that this movie came out like three or four years ago and I don't really know why that is because it's not like Merida is such a mainstay in the parks. Like you see her, she's around, but this didn't have like the phenomenon around it that a film like Lilo and Stitch that we just discussed last week did and yet this feels brand new to me.
1: Right. It's not like a Tangled or even though we don't love it, it's not like a Moana. Yeah, um, I feel like people really like Merida. Um, but to your point, I feel like it's, I, I definitely feel like it's more recent than 10 years. And I think that has to do with Festival of Fantasy because she is yeah. one of the coolest parts about that parade.
0: She is, um, but. I'm really interested to talk about this, because this is not one that we have taken a deep dive into in the past. It's one that we, you know, we saw it, we liked it when we saw it, but we kind of put it on the shelf after that, and it's not one that we dove back into, so... I was really excited to sit and revisit this one this week.
1: Same, because there's really no reason why we haven't rewatched it that often.
0: Right, but I guess that's going to be one of the things that we answer. Does the film have rewatchability? Do we still like it as much as we did when we saw it the first time 10 years ago? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today.
1: This episode is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms, ornaments, and personalized photo nightlights. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount using the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Hidden Mickey Supply Co. on Instagram and Etsy to stay up to date on all the new releases. We
0: see a young Princess Merida who dreams of not being a proper queen, but of a warrior, much to the dismay of her mother, Queen Eleanor. After seeing a wisp in the woods, the family is attacked by the demon bear Mordu, and her father, King Fergus, loses his leg. As Merida grows up, the relationship with her mother fractures as she pushes back against being groomed to to be queen even as the lords from the nearby lands prepare to present their sons as suitors to be betrothed to Merida As the heirs from the four clans that used to be rivals but have now come together arrive to be presented to Merida, the event falls into chaos as the clans fight each other before Merida attempts to become betrothed to herself, more or less, after winning the archery competition. After causing a scene, Eleanor burns Merida's bow, so Merida runs away from Doonbrock, which is the village or kingdom in which they live, and into the woods where she exchanges her necklace for a spell baked into a cake by a witch that promises to change the queen as well as Merida's fate. Merida presents the cake to Eleanor as a piece but first entertains the other lords. Eleanor eats the cake, falls ill, and turns into a bear that is now hunted by Fergus and the other lords, so she and Merida flee into the woods thanks to a distraction from Merida's brothers, Harris, Hubert, and Hamish, who then eat the cursed cake by mistake. They go to the witch's cottage who leaves a message for Merida and tells her that their fate can be changed if they mend the bond but that they only have two days to do it or her mother will be a bear permanently. As they navigate their way through the woods, they encounter wisps while slowly um, fixing their relationship while dealing with Eleanor having moments where she goes bear entirely. She forgets that she is, at least on the inside, a human being. They stumble upon castle ruins where they learn that the spell has been used before and that Mordu is a former prince. That's the backstory as to how Dunbroch had fractured and, and it became all of these different uh, realms. Um, he arrives, this is Mordu, and attacks them, but they escape and head back to their castle to mend the family tapestry that that Merida cut in half, believing that this would end the curse. Meanwhile, the four clans have declared war over Merida, but Merida declares that she is breaking tradition and will not be betrothed, which has the support of the heirs, because none of them wanted to really be betrothed to her anyway. The bear, which is, of course, the queen, is then found in the castle and is hunted. That's when Merida confesses that she had a spell baked into a cake, but her father is so hysterical and all he wants to do is kill the bear that he's not listening, so he locks Merida up for her safety. She uses her brothers, the triplets, who are now bear cubs, to help break her out, and she sews the tapestry back together. As they... Go deeper and deeper into the woods. Mordu attacks all of the clans and is killed after a fight with the queen. That's when we see that the prince is now a wisp that was freed. As the sun rises, the queen changes into a bear permanently. And as Merida cries and tells her that she loves her mother, it was that and not the tapestry that needed to be mended. So the queen turns into a human being again. And I guess we all live happily ever after. It's kind of where they leave it.
1: I want to start in sort of an unexpected place. I okay, wasn't, let's do I it. wasn't planning on this. Um as we were rewatching it, the plot started to feel very familiar. And not just because we hadn't seen it in a while. I, I was just like, when she um, comes out for the archery contest and she splits the arrow and she's like, "I'm I'm competing for my own hand. Yeah. I've been racking my brain trying to figure out where we have seen it before. And it finally dawned on me as you were reading the plot. So thank you for that.
0: You're welcome. <laughs>
1: um, we've not reviewed this on the show yet. A Kid in King Arthur's Court. I don't know if that was a big film for you. It was for my brother. Uh, so I've seen it quite a number of times, and I don't know if you'll remember this. Uh, Kate Winslet, this was one of her first movies. She's the elder sister, and she's supposed to be married off. And... Uh, she essentially competes for her own hand, but she's completely disguised. Uh, I want to say, like, they, the the village knew her as, like, the Dark Knight or something. And they all thought it was a guy. And then it's, like, a huge reveal at the end when it's been her the whole time. And then her father's like, oh, you've won the right to choose. I don't think it was archery, though. I want to say it was... Um, jousting? dancing, jousting. Yes, I was in the neighborhood. Um, Fun with swords. Yes. So anyway, I finally figured it out. Uh, But that is going to be something that I'm looking out for, is how much of a ripoff it actually... Because obviously, uh, Ken and King Arthur's Court came out way before this. Christopher Lloyd's in it. Kate Winslet was like a kid.
0: Yeah, when Thomas Ian Nicholas was being typecast as a baseball player after he was in Rookie of the Year.
1: Way before American Pie. Yeah, exactly.
0: And let me tell you something. My grandmother... Bought me that VHS tape at Price Club, which is now called Costco. Um, But when it was still Price Club, she bought me that VHS tape thinking I'd like it. It was a kid in a baseball uniform and it was a Disney movie and we go to King Arthur's Court. I watched half of it. I'm pretty sure I never even rewound the tape.
1: Christopher freaking Lloyd as Merlin? Are you kidding? Didn't
0: do it for me. And I love Christopher Lloyd. It did not do it for me. That movie I found, I was bored to tears. And I think it's because I love Rookie of the Year so much.
1: It's not the same thing. It's
0: not at all the same thing. So when you took the same character and kind of just, I kind of got the feeling that the, like, it's weird. As like a 10-year-old, I knew that they were ripping off another movie that I really liked using literally the same exact actor. Watched half of it. I bet you if I went into my parents' house, if they haven't thrown the tape away at this point, we may have donated it to the library years ago, if they still have it, I would almost guarantee you that if I opened the box, I didn't even rewind the tape
1: oh ouch and as we know that's a sick burn okay so you think Kidden King Arthur's Court was a ripoff of Rookie of the Year yep. so is Brave a ripoff of Rookie of the Year that's what we're going to discuss no I'm kidding um,
0: is it canon <laughs> <laughs> where's John Candy <laughs>
1: <laughs> alright we've gone on quite a far tangent but okay you do remember enough I'm guessing no, I don't to determine if this is a ripoff I don't remember okay, a thing from Kitten King in.
0: Arthur's Court I gotta be honest with you Not a blessed thing.
1: Well, let's discuss the movie at hand, shall we? Um, I love from the jump, obviously, Merida's hair is just freaking incredible animation. But what I really love is the strong visual cue against her mother's tightly wound braids. It's just totally setting us up right in the first few seconds of screen time.
0: Yeah, I think Merida's intro is very strong. Um, I think her animation is great. I think the scenery throughout this entire film is incredible. Um, Pixar actually rewrote its software before making this film. It was the first time they had done that. And it you could tell because there is a different level of detail in the backgrounds specifically, um, and the scenery. Um yeah, I think that the anima- off
1: big time. Yeah,
0: the animation looks incredible. My only problem that I have with Merida in the beginning um is that so it's funny you go to a kid in king arthur's court i thought that they were pulling a little too much from mulan if you think about it they're more i hate to say it they're kind of the same character
1: twice no wonder there was that nagging feeling of i've seen this before yeah
0: they're they're basically the same character
1: I mean, w- we've seen it so many times where the girl doesn't want to be betrothed. It, Jasmine, it happened. Uh, not necessarily with Ariel trying to be married off, but she she didn't want to fit the molds of what her father wanted. So, you know, she goes off on her own, too. Th- this is not our first time at the rodeo with a princess who doesn't want to be stuffed in the box.
0: No, but it's a princess that would rather battle than be betrothed into marriage. That is a reflection. It's a mirror image of Mulan. I'm going to put a pin in Ariel because I have something to discuss later when it comes to Ariel.
1: But The way you say that, I feel like I'm not going to be happy about it.
0: But it doesn't change the fact that I do think that despite all of that, Merida has a very strong introduction.
1: Yes, and what I like, even though you are comparing it to Mulan, both stories lean into the setting. Yes. And not just because Pixar knocked it out of the park as far as capturing this landscape, but it's also the culture that comes into play. Uh, Before we get farther ahead, I did have a question about that. Is this the first time they rewrote the software since the Listerine commercial, or they did it for Toy Story and now this is the first time since Toy Story. I believe Story. it's the first time since Toy Story. Okay, so we have made leaps and bounds since Listerine.
0: Correct. Um all right. So I think the intro is really good. I like how they don't waste any time jumping into the fractured relationship that is her and her mother. I think that they use um, they use a montage very well to not waste time. Um, with useless backstory. I think they paced it really well to get us to present day, and yet we don't feel like we're missing anything whatsoever.
1: I totally agree. And I love how they set up the montage with a princess is this, a princess is that. And I love how it starts as complete sentences, but then you just get completely put in Merida's POV where her mom is just hammering, do this, do that, do this, Mm -hmm. do that. Yeah. So it it definitely creates that tension up front. What I do wish that they had spent a little bit more time with um, is setting up the king and queen on their own because we know that the dad is a jokester uh, and he's always sort of letting Merida off the hook, but we don't necessarily know what that means for his relationship with his wife because... I just find it interesting that we're seeing her be so hard on Merida, but the king sort of does the exact same things, and and he's that wild free spirit, but he gets away with it.
0: Well, because I think that with, with him, it's he's the king. He's going to do whatever he wants. I like the fact that he accepts that Merida is more of a tomboy than anything else, and that He really embraces her doing that. He's the one that buys her her first bow as a child. The scene that I think captured this the best is the scene where Merida is telling her father that she drank from the firefall after she climbed that mountain. Yes. And they're having that conversation and the mom is just not paying attention at all and her father is like hanging on every word. I think that it's the perfect definition of all of the relationships involved. And I think that it also does draw a very clear picture of, I think in many ways, what the relationship is also between the king and the queen. Because you can tell that not only does he feel bad, but I think he's also a little frustrated that she is not listening to what Merida is saying.
1: Right, but that's where I think it could have been fleshed out just a touch more that he realizes the queen is very straight-laced And she is trying to prep her daughter. Not, well, no, not prep her daughter. She's trying to prep the princess to step into that role. And the whole thing is that the king can be a dad, to merida but she doesn't know how to be a mom that whole scene is brilliant though because this all comes through crystal clear amongst the chaos of the dogs running in and out the triplets who by the way what they get away with i mean i know merida says as much that they get away with murder but they truly do they are absolutely running amok and the most the mom says to them is don't play with your haggis
0: yeah they are They are great comic relief, though. They really are. I love them. Like, I would love to eventually see Disney do shorts with them. Yes. Like, you're not going to do a brave sequel, but I think you can expand on at least them. Not all of these characters, but I think you can at least expand on them, and I'd like to see more of them in the future. Um, I also like that after that dinner scene where Merida pushes back on this event for her betrothment, The mom, the queen, goes, and I guess she's going to play chess with her, and she starts explaining why they do what they do for the clans. And you get that blink-and-you'll-miss-it Mordu identity. Um, Having not seen this film for a long time, I kind of, like... I had forgotten about it in the first time we watched it. It wasn't until the second viewing this week when they planted him in the very beginning and I thought this was just really brilliant because it is blink and you'll miss him and you kind of forget that he's there.
1: I really think that they needed to lean into that a little bit more though to raise the stakes of why her mother is pressuring her so much about making sure that she is a good queen and a respected queen who can hold these kingdoms together. For sure. Because that is the consequence. It is. But I feel like she never quite connects those dots for Merida, and that's why Merida doesn't care or doesn't seem to care.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. The next scene is when they have this event where all of the clans come, and it's like straight out of Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Where her mother's got her and she can't breathe in the outfit. Yes. It's Miss Swan.
1: It is very much a ripoff. But, well, no. Is it a ripoff or is it a trope? Because I even think it's a trope. It is. In Mulan, she doesn't feel comfortable in the makeup and the kimono. It's it's that, and for as far as we've come with developing the these female characters, it's like, here we go, regressing back to this trope. Because that's the only thing that we can do to express that a female is uncomfortable is put her in constricting clothes that she obviously doesn't want to be in. And that's the symbolism of she doesn't want to be in this position. But womp, is womp.
0: I don't know womp womp. I don't know. How about this though? If it's culturally accurate, if it's historically accurate, don't you think there's something to be said for that?
1: I will give it that, but the, I can't breathe, which is exactly the what exact Elizabeth line. says. Yes. Like, it's very much on the nose that yeah. you are restricted. I can't breathe. It's not just the dress. It's the situation. Like, we get it. So figure out, you know, finesse it a little bit. Figure out a different way to, to get it across.
0: But once she gets her downstairs and Meredith sits next to King Fergus... King Fergus laughing at Merida as she's done up on all this. It's everything. It's their entire relationship summed up in all of the right ways.
1: Exactly, It's so brilliantly done because he's trying to get her to lighten up a little bit. He lets her know, don't take this too seriously. He's trying to show that he's on her side. But again, this would have been... A little bit more interesting if he suffered the repercussions from the queen. Which, speaking of, okay, this suitor sausage fest, discuss. Because other than the queen and Merida, there is no other female in this room. You're telling me, all, and I know that Disney loves to kill parents, but none of these boys had a mother?
0: I don't think the mothers are going with them, though. It's the lords and their suitors. In, in Aladdin, you don't see both parents going with the princes that are being presented to Jasmine.
1: Okay, I did think of that, that somebody's got to be sitting on the throne while they're away. However, Anna and Elsa's parents both left. Yeah, and we saw how them. well it <laughs> works out for them. Exactly. Look where it got them. But it's just i mean it does very much lend to the idea that this is a very much respected queen who can hold court and and wrangle all of these men plus her unruly daughter right. and get them to pay attention but i just don't necessarily buy that she it's got to all fall to her
0: be that as it may I love this entire scene. I would watch two hours of insults and fights (laughs) with Lord Dingwall leading the way. This, to me, is where the movie gets so lighthearted in all of the right ways. And what I think they do tactfully here with the feast your eyes and all that, it's hysterical. But what this movie does really well, at the root of it, it's a princess film. Okay? Merit is a princess. She is not your atypical princess, but she is a princess. But they mix the comedy well enough and they put them in scenarios that are thrilling enough where little girls can look up to Merida for being that strong princess. But I think there's enough there for the boys, too, because you are it is a family film. Kids of the demographic. They're the target demographic. This is the perfect example of a film that has something for everyone.
1: For sure. Sure. I think that they could have leaned into the comedy a little bit more, though, during the competition. I would have really liked to see, especially because Merida has always kind of had this wink and a nudge relationship with her brothers where she sneaks them desserts. I would have really liked to see them step up to the plate for her and start sabotaging her suitors, which does sort of contradict the idea of she's going to step in and handle this herself because she is that strong but it would have been nice to know that they were backing her up and on her side instead you get all of these secondary characters not even the suitors doing these competitions and I feel like that was sort of a missed opportunity for more physical comedy
0: perhaps but I think I thought they did just enough but I could do more like I just said right um so after she fires her you know her her arrow and she splits the other arrow.
1: That slow motion shot is so freaking good.
0: It's outstanding.
1: Even just, I mean, the arrow splitting is incredible, but when she releases it from her fingers, the the angles that they play with, it's, it's incredible.
0: Off she goes into the woods because her mother freaks out and tells her that she ruined everything. And now we go and meet the witch in the witch's cottage and the witch is such a perfect blend of evil and comedy. She is one of the more fun characters, not just in this film, but in Pixar in general.
1: I love that she is moonlighting as a woodcarver and I would have loved to spend even more time with her.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about what happens, though, when we get back to the castle with this cake, okay? Merida with the cake and immediately after is so savage, that she hides it as a peace offering and she's being so condescending with it. And as her mother is literally choking and falling to the floor, she's like, so the wedding's I mean, off, right? your mind? we're done. Change your mind. It's over. We're done now. It's almost, oh, it's almost dislikable.
1: That is exactly what I was going to say. It really makes her sort of like an unreliable mean character. Um, and this is where she does sort of start to lose me. Uh, I mean, at this point, it is so savage because she can't even make the argument when her mom is like, oh, I didn't know where you went or how long you'd be gone." Like, she knows the horse is gone. She knows Merida left the castle. Merida can't even be like, oh, I was down here the whole time making this for you. So... The fact that she just pulls this cake out, I mean, why would you question your daughter? You wouldn't. And that's what makes this just pure evil. It's it's
0: very well written in that respect. But the problem is, this is your leading lady. We're, right. We're supposed to love Merida.
1: Exactly. And I mean, we know what's going to happen. We know that, quote-unquote, change your fate. It, it's... It's supposed to be a metaphor. Right. But that's going to get flipped on its head and it's going to become literal. But how Merida didn't realize that from the witch in the woods, it's kind of like, what did you really think was going to happen? And that's also what makes her dislikable to me, too, is not just that she was force feeding it to her mother, regardless of the consequences that she was dumb enough to think that nothing was going to happen. And I don't like to say that about someone who is supposed to be such a strong female lead, but that was kind of a dumb move.
0: It is, and she's a very smart character. That's the other thing. She's she's very smart and independent for this entire film, so to have that lapse in judgment for a moment I think kind of like disintegrates the character as a whole. And this is where I bring up Ariel. My biggest issue... With Merida, and this is just for the entire film, is that at times she's so childish and selfish because it starts in that moment where her mother becomes a bear and it happens a few more times as the movie goes on. She never accepts responsibility for it. All she says is... It was that rotten witch. It was that witch. It was that witch. Well, you were making me do something I didn't want to do. And I told you I didn't want to do it. And the witch did this. It's not my fault that the witch did this. On episode one of Monoreal Radio, we discussed The Little Mermaid. And I talked about Ariel being the Gen X Disney princess. Being rebellious, wanting more, pushing the envelope. But the difference with Ariel is that Yes, she was willing to give up being under the sea with her father. She gave up her own voice to get those legs. She gave up something of her own to get what she always wanted. Merida is such a millennial princess. Ooh. Because all she did was pass the buck. She goes and trades a necklace for a spell and blames the witch for it. And when she doesn't blame the witch for it, she blames her mother for it. Ariel and Merida, when you put the two of them side by side, when it comes to what they're willing to give up and where they're willing to be held accountable for their actions, they're not even close. And it is such a generational turn in the thought process It did not stand out to me until today where I said, well, she just keeps passing the buck because honestly, I hate to say she reminded me of somebody I work with who's just (laughs) like a bozo kid who keeps doing the wrong thing and blames other people for it to the point where I literally called the person out a couple of days ago. I'm airing some dirty laundry, but it doesn't matter. I called the person out on it and they go, well, it's not my fault. And I go, no, but it literally is. They go, yeah, but not really. So they they acknowledged that it was, but wouldn't accept that it was. And Merida just reminded me of that moment. And I said, my God, what a change in Disney princesses. Take Ariel, take Belle, and take Jasmine, and take Merida. And it's not to say that I dislike Merida, but you take the four of them in particular, and just look at the vast differences between the three of them. The three meaning Ariel, Belle, and Jasmine, and Merida. It, they are so completely different, it's staggering.
1: Wow, you're kind of blowing my mind right now. Um, I I totally agree with you about Merida not taking any responsibility. In fact, I have those exact words written down. I, I was like, did you look at my paper? Uh, I couldn't agree more. And that's where I started saying before that, Merida started to lose me when she was force-feeding her mother. Right. I lost all respect for her. I mean, it goes from being an unreliable main character to flat-out losing respect. And quite frankly, as we talk through the rest of this, I am going to be talking through whether or not Merida actually won me back because the jury's still out on that for me. Um... But I really never made those connections. That's not at all where I thought you were going when you brought up Ariel at the top of the show. Uh, I never put those dots together. But wow, what an incredible observation. And I'm really glad that you make that point because I feel like Ariel Bell jasmine i mean we've we've said that our renaissance princesses they're the ones who really started acting out and starting to break that princessy mold but i feel like they get the bad rap because they're still not as strong as some of your more modern day princesses like even though we don't like her moana or like a or an honor and elsa because with the early renaissance The princes are still so prominent in those films. And I feel like Ariel, Belle, Jasmine do sort of get, I I think unfairly lumped in with like Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty because it's all about a guy for the most part, especially with Ariel. Um, Whereas if you take the later ones like Rapunzel or like Anna and Elsa, they're doing it completely on their own. Um, so where Merida is very different because there is no guy at all, they never even allude to that at the end. They, they say that, you know, they're going to let the kids fall in love, but like, there's not even one that she wanted. And I love that they steered away from that altogether. Um, but it's just so interesting that even though there isn't a prince in the picture, you can still completely weaken a character in that way.
0: Right. So here's the thing. I don't have a lot of notes on this film past this point. I have a couple that I think are interesting talk topics. The first being that I think I, I like the relationship that Merida has with her mother when her mother is in bear form and they're out in the woods kind of like trying to like make it on their own because it's the first time that the queen really sees the life that Merida lives because Merida, she is off on her own. She is off finding adventures. And the fact that her mother has to do it for her own— she has to sustain this life as a bear, at least for the next two days— to see her live life on the other side and take her crown off because she's been wearing the crown even as a bear. Mm -hmm. She takes the crown off. Um, I think it's a great moment and you start to see how the relationship is getting rebuilt. I mean, to the point where, quite honestly, I don't think you needed Merida to say, I love you and cry on her to break this spell. I think that the bond was already rebuilt at that point, but they wanted it to be symbolic. Okay, I get it, whatever but I think that this really works to repair the relationship kind of fast without it feeling that it's rushed.
1: Yeah, this truly is one of the best scenes in the whole film because not only does her mother realize that she has to start to rely on Merida and, oh, maybe all of these things that I wrote off as tomboyish are not only coming in handy but they're useful and she starts to see her daughter for who she really is not just someone who can help her survive this situation uh, and what's really impressive is that it's all done without a lot of dialogue it's all visual because at this point you know she is a bear and she's not speaking and there's not a lot that Meredith's is saying either. Uh, because in the scene prior to when they're fishing uh, or Meredith is showing her mother uh, how to catch fish, right? Uh, the first order of business is let me go back to the witch because it's her responsibility, not mine, and have her undo this.
0: Pass the buck, pass the buck.
1: Exactly. And there's a lot of talking on Meredith's part because she's scrambling and then you get the really funny uh, Ozhead-esque voicemail from the witch um, but then after that, a lot of the dialogue does sort of trail off until they get back to the castle. Um what I also love how they're starting to pepper in in these scenes is how the mother is losing her humanity and they make the human eyes, which are obviously so brilliantly animated, uh flash to these really flat bear eyes um in the moments where she's starting to slip away. I thought that was really well done.
0: Yeah, and I think that... Actually, I think that that's a really perfect transition for this kind of next conversation piece here. Because like you said, there's not a lot of dialogue. It's mostly just them walking through the woods, trying to make it all work, trying to figure it out. It's at this point on the most recent viewing that I kind of realized Merida's the leading lady, but I kind of feel like this is Eleanor's film.
1: Yeah, you could certainly make that argument, and maybe that's why they did allow Merida to become so unlikable in those moments.
0: Because really, without trying to spoil my overall review... Other than Merida trying to protect her mother from being hunted by her father and trying to turn her back into the queen and prevent her from being a bear forever, she doesn't really have that big of an arc because ultimately she gets what she wants at the end of the day anyway, which is, I'm not going to be betrothed and I'm going to be accepted by my mother who for who and what I really am. She gets what she wants, she just feels bad about what it took to get there. But the Queen is the one with the full arc. The Queen is the one that truly changes, because the Queen is the one that has her eyes open. The only lesson Merida learned was, don't buy spells from witches in in a cottage. But Eleanor is the one that changes the most. If you really think about it, this is Eleanor's movie.
1: Right, because other than Merida's survival skills, she's got two things that she's going off of. The fate be changed incantation that she got from the from the witch when they go back and the witch is not actually there. Yeah. Which really bothers me because that is what you wanted. Your whole motivation and the whole thesis of this film, because it is established very early on in the voiceover, is if you had the power to change your fate, would you? Right. That is why you sought the witch out. You just show up, burst down the door, and I want to change my fate, I want to change my fate, but I have to do that through my mother instead of accepting responsibility for what you actually need to do. And then once she thinks she has it figured out, she's like, oh, we'll just go sew up the tapestry. Like, Stitching that back together is what's going <laughs> that was gonna to undo do anything. Everything. Yeah.
0: That was going to fix anything.
1: So, uh, again, now you've got her unlikable and completely weak going off of these theories.
0: Yeah. She's kind of grasping at straws just to figure it out.
1: Where they really do such a great job, though, is the balance with the comedy. Yeah. With not only, uh, just her mother trying to to figure out her new situation because I didn't find that really funny. Like obviously she's this huge bear. She's gonna be clumsy. She doesn't have a lot of control over her own body because she does. She's not used to moving it yet. Uh, the comedy for me really comes from Fargus having to stall with all of these. Uh,
0: the lords, the lords, and the suitors. Yeah, back
1: at the castle. So, you know, and and I love how easily triggered he is by the bears and he's got this, you know, bogus bear hunt throughout the castle, which becomes real once the triplets get involved. And they do a really good job of cutting back and forth to that because last we saw the triplets, you knew they were eating that cake. So they were, were spending just enough time with Merida and her mother to forget about that. And then they bring it back full circle really well.
0: I also think that the movie gets better once you bring in this Mordu backstory. When you realize that Mordu is a prince, and he's the one that is the reason why this betrothment, if you really think about it, it is the reason why this is all happening with this clan. It started with him. He is the bear. The spell's been used before We've been down this road. We know it's not going to end well. It adds an extra layer to the film that I think it needed, and I think the film benefited from it. Absolutely. Do you have anything else on the movie? Because I'll be honest with you, I really don't have that much else, because if you... if I mean, I I gave the plot. If you really strip the movie down, and I don't mean this as an insult, it's a kind of basic, straightforward kind of movie.
1: No, the only other couple of points that I wanted to make um, were, you know, once they sneak back into the castle um, and the brothers, as bears, are causing distractions, uh, that's one of the funniest things to me. I wish that they had brought them back a little bit earlier, although I do think there was a benefit to having just enough time to forget that they, too, mm-hmm. ate the poison pie or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um. I think that's all really funny. The only thing that I really didn't like as funny as the bear hunt is with the dad. I hate when he doesn't listen to Merida when she's trying to explain what happened. Um, And they do sort of set that idea up in the beginning because the mother does through this montage of trying to teach Merida and mold her into a queen she does give us that she believes in magic and that these stories of legend are actually true.
0: Yeah, she believes in the wisps and all that.
1: Yes, and Merida does actually take that from her. Um, It is like the one thing that they agree upon throughout the course of this whole film. But for somebody as straight-laced as the mother is, I'm surprised that Fargus is not the one who believes in magic. So he's not listening when she's saying, no, this is really your wife. Um, But regardless of whether he believes it or not, the way that he's always leveled with Merida, it bothers me that he doesn't listen to her when it matters the most. He does what her mother has done the entire rest of the film.
0: Right. Because he's so obsessed with just getting the bear, right?
1: Exactly. And then the only other thing that sort of bothers me, because I feel like it goes against the grain of the rest of the film is you know you do have that moment like you said where she's crying i love you mommy because she thinks that her mother's going to be stuck as a bear forever yep um this is supposedly the moment of quote-unquote changing your fate that's the incantation that's supposed to break everything why didn't that happen When she's trying to sneak her mother as a bear back into the castle and she makes this big speech. Yep. And then her mom starts feeding her the lines of, you know, we talked about it and the princess has earned her right to choose. That's the big, like you said, that's the bigger character arc. That is the mother's character arc. That should have broken the spell. I understand you can't do it right at that point because then you lose the third act battle with Mardu but it, it kind of doesn't make sense in the context of this curse.
0: No, and honestly, like, yeah, you lose the battle with Mordue, but the third act would have written itself, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that have been a perfect finale to the film? We didn't necessarily need to see Mordue get killed. Because he really gets... F- it's like a it's like they're at Stonehenge and one of the one of the big stones falls on him. Yeah, we see that he becomes a wisp and now he's freed. But do we really care that much about Mordu? I mean, seriously. That he's not the one that we needed to see get freed in all of this. Right,
1: because we know that he took Vargas's leg, but other than that it it doesn't do anything for Vargas's character. Yeah. Um, but I do like that idea though, that the wisps are, uh, like these freed souls. I remember when we saw this in the movie, um, and the first time they're on screen and Merida goes a will of the wisp. I was like, Pixar, what are you doing? That is like cruel and unusual punishment for parents because that's all kids are going to be saying. And this was, you know the reason this film is celebrating a 10th anniversary now, it's one of those films that came out as a summer blockbuster release. Right. And I was like, these poor parents, the entire summer, all they're going to hear is will of the wisp Because the kids behind us kept saying it from the first part of the movie. Yeah. I was like, that's not right, Pixar. After Stonehenge, there's really not much else. That's not to say that it feels rushed, but basically, you know, the Lord's go back to their land. um, And we see Merida and her mother working on the tapestry. I love that they did that. And I thought it was really pretty the way that they did the artwork. Right. Um, But it's funny, they really brought the film full circle because her mother has her hair. It's still tied back, but it's down now. Uh, And again, a little on the nose of a visual cue that she's loosened up. But I like that they bring that back full circle to the beginning with the hair
0: for sure all right let's talk about the voice cast a little bit starting with kelly mcdonald who plays merida i think she does a good job with merida i also think part of the reason why i don't love merida is because i don't it's nothing against kelly mcdonald i hated her character on boardwalk empire so i think that i have this like i think that i have this bias against merida to begin with but it doesn't change the fact that Merida does a lot of things that do kind of drive me a little crazy.
1: Oh, and see, I well, I loved Kelly McDonald on Boardwalk Empire at first. Yeah, they squandered that character. By the way, don't ever watch that show with your children. Um, but yeah, I love her as an actress. I'm surprised, though, that, well, I guess it's not surprising because Idina voiced Elsa and Elsa was supposed to be 21. Kelly McDonald's older i mean not that that should be held against her but i'm surprised that uh they had her playing like what 16
0: yeah she was 36 when they made the film playing 16 i mean
1: good for her and and the voice certainly works um i'm just surprised they didn't i mean 16 you're like a kid
0: yeah yeah you're very young
1: um but yeah i i do want to uh voice acting aside, I do want to break down Merida a little bit more because I'm still really confused on where I stand with her. Um, You know, I think that she's a good character. I think that she's certainly someone that a younger audience can look up to. Um, But they shouldn't because she doesn't take responsibility for anything.
0: Yeah, I think that she's a fun character. I think that she is a very strong character when she's on her own. That's the other thing. Like, she f- she can figure all of this out on her own. She's so independent. So for her to pass the buck, I think that there are just times where... I think there are times she's a really strong character, and I think that there are times where she falls victim of some shoddy screenwriting where they kind of water her down a little bit, and it's not necessarily fair. yes. Emma Thompson plays Queen Eleanor. If I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times. Emma Thompson's good in everything, so Emma Thompson's good in this. Disney
1: loves Emma Thompson, and so do we.
0: Billy Connolly plays King Fergus. I love the comedy relief that you get here, because Billy Connolly's very funny to begin with. I fell in love with him in Boondock Saints. The fact that that man is cast in in a Disney Pixar film... It just makes me happy that I live in a universe where this is all true.
1: Well, he was also in Harry Potter, so doing kids' movies, I guess, didn't become that much of a stretch in his later career. But um, I love him in everything that he does, and this is no exception. I I think that he's perfect, and I love Fargus as a character. I love... You know, like I said, how triggered he is from his history with Mardu. You know, somebody says bear and he's grabbing the nearest weapon and and chasing at shadows. And I love that he's so motivated by this score that he has to settle. And that's why he is so quick on the trigger. But at the same time, that's balanced by this really wonderful relationship that he has with his daughter.
0: Julie Walters plays the witch. I said it before good mix of comedy and evil and i really like this character and i wish we would have seen more of her throughout the film
1: same i think the reason for that though is because the witch is always the villain right it's so rare that we get to see like a funny kooky witch who doesn't really have a lot of stake in the whole film i mean she's she's a good plot point but she's not the villain
0: right All right, I want to talk about the three lords as well because they don't have a lot of dialogue, but when they are on screen, they steal the show. And you were talking about uh, Billy Connolly being a part of Harry Potter. Well, Robbie Coltrane plays Lord Dingwall. Now, Coltrane to you is Hagrid. Of course. To me, he's the ticket teller in Let It Ride. So we have two very different uh, ideas of what Robbie Coltrane is. But I said it before, Dingwall, I would love to just watch Dingwall for two hours.
1: Yeah, he really is the connective tissue between all of these lords and Fargus that shows what a deep history that they have just because the insults. They're insults, no doubt about it, but like they're kind of low stakes enough where you understand that, like, there's always a brotherhood here. And no matter how many shots they fire at each other, like, they're never really going to turn on each other.
0: Kevin mckid plays Lord MacGuffin and Young MacGuffin. And I love that Young MacGuffin, you just can't understand a word that he's saying <laughs> yeah. in that thick Scottish accent. Um, a lot of people would better know Kevin McKidd as Owen from Grey's Anatomy. I had no idea that this was a Scottish actor, but he is. Um, and he he hides his accent well. He was really, again, more good comic relief. I think I like him more as young MacGuffin, though, than I do as old MacGuffin.
1: I would agree. Although, you know, especially with young MacGuffin, who could blame Merida for not wanting to have to pick between the three of them?
0: Yes. And then finally, you have Lord Macintosh, played by Craig Ferguson, of course, he kind of just ties the whole thing together. Yes. Um, Let's talk. There are two songs in this film, um, which we will touch on, starting with Touch the Sky. I think it's a great intro song for Merida. This is what you hear in the parks more often. This is what you hear in the Festival of Fantasy Parade. Um, And I think that's... I think people take to that more... Just by virtue of it's in the parade and like you mentioned earlier she's got such a great uh, presentation on her horse in that parade.
1: The words were coming out of my mouth. For me that song is more tied to the parks than it is to the film but I don't want to take away... From what a beautiful sequence it is in the film, and yes. what a great character moment it is, because she's you know going through the woods and shooting the arrows at all of her targets that she's got placed for practice. Uh, so it's a really strong way to develop the character.
0: Yeah, and you know what? I'm going to correct myself because she actually does have a float that she sits on in Festival of Fantasy. When they were doing the cavalcades, she was on her
1: Clydesdale. She, that's she was on the actual horse. That's right. Which
0: I kind of liked more. Right. it was kind of it was very disneylandish where it was like you're not going to take a picture with her per se but she's just roaming around right that was very cool and then into the open air is the other song that plays while Merida and her mother as a bear are down catching fish it's fine you know what I mean like it doesn't to me it, it it's not a bad song it's a nice song but it doesn't really do anything for the film to me you, you could have almost done anything at that point
1: the whole is greater than the sum of its parts with that scene. I like the scene overall, but it's not one of those ones that's firing on all cylinders like a let it go where the song is equally matched by such a strong visual. Here it all ties together nicely, but you know, I'm not blasting this song from my car.
0: No. Um do you have anything else or you got final thoughts on Brave?
1: Uh No, my final thoughts, I didn't love it as much as the first time we saw it in theaters. That's not to say that I don't like this film. Um, But I don't feel like I was missing out on not rewatching it often in the past 10 years. Um, And I think my opinion has definitely changed. I don't know that I'm going to rewatch it very often because... Merida has kind of weakened as a character for me after really picking this one apart. Um, But I think to your point, the bigger and better arc is most definitely her mother. And I think with that being the case, your main character's storyline sort of disappears into the background of the rest of the film. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because the entire cast that they have populated this film with is so strong and there's such funny side characters there is definitely enough there but even though they're providing such great comic relief they're not doing enough to push the story forward so I think that's why this movie sort of feels a little thin because there's not really an a and b plot happening because the mother and Merida's story are intertwined. Um, so so I think a little bit more of a subplot would have gone a long way. And again, it's not that I don't like the movie. It's certainly not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. It's just not one of the strongest Pixar ones, and it's definitely not one of my favorite Pixar's.
0: I think your leading lady comes in with a bang, goes out with a whisper. Um, a whisper. My opinion of her at the end of the film is not quite as high as it is at the start of the film. And I I kind of remembered that when we sat to watch it this week. Um, It kind of reminded me of all the reasons why we haven't rewatched this one in quite some time. I think, all in all, it's a very good movie. Um, I think that it's kind of basic in premise, but I think that the animation is outstanding. I think that the scenery is incredible. I think the secondary characters are great to the point that you made. I think the movie's fairly well-paced. I think that they do a good mix of comedy and drama, and I think that the screenwriting, for the most part, is pretty good. Um, I would say that it's it's slightly better than a middle-of-the-road movie. Um... Probably not one that I'm going to go back and watch anytime soon. I have, like, to me, honestly, it's like the same 15 Disney movies. Like, as we're, like, getting ready to fall asleep at night. And I put them on on Disney Plus just to have background TV because I like I have to sleep with background television. I have, like, 15 movies that I go to. And I'm always hoping that I find some new ones that I can add into that rotation or maybe some films that I forgot about. This is not one of them. Flight of the Navigator, which we talked about, you know, a few months ago. That might have even been a year ago at this point, actually. Like, that's one that found its way into the rotation, but I haven't really had one since then. I was hoping that this would be the one, and it's just not. But we are interested in hearing what you have to say about Brave, as it... Uh, has just celebrated its 10th anniversary. Has it changed for the better or not so much? You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. When we were planning our first family trip to Disney World, uh, Jackie was the first person that we thought of.
1: Jackie helped us with every step of the planning. She helped us pick the right time of year to visit, to make sure we don't have big lines, and she helped us pick the right hotel for our itinerary and our budget.
0: She also gave us uh, great recommendations when it came to scheduling our parks, our dining reservations, and the attractions.
1: These days, it feels like there's a lot that goes into planning a Disney trip, and there's a lot that we just didn't know about Disney World, and we're just so thankful for Jackie's advice in making it all a little bit easier.
0: Yeah, when we got to the property, we, we realized we wanted to add on another park day, so we texted Jackie early in the morning, and she got back to us right away, and that really helped us make it happen.
1: We had some amazing meals and drinks. We went to Cinderella's Royal Table. We went to Oga's Cantina. We rode Rise of the Resistance without waiting on a long line. And on Jackie's recommendation, we saw the Epcot fireworks from the Skyliner. This was
0: an unforgettable family trip to Disney World, and. Jackie made it happen.
1: Thank you, Jackie. So if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, you can head over to MagicalVacationPlanner.com fill out the contact form and request me as your vacation planner or you can email me directly at j.zelezi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I at MagicalVacationPlanner.com Hi, this is Kelly from Carmen Kismet, your official monorail news sponsor and I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news, but before I do that, I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney-inspired art at karmaandkismetdesigns.com.
0: Don't forget, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code monoreal10 at checkout to see all of Kelly's work, to see all of the services that she has to offer. It's online at karmaandkismetdesigns.com. That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. Speaking of Pixar, the Run Disney Spring Surprise Weekend was announced, and they are doing a Pixar-themed Spring Surprise Weekend unpopular opinion eh so many people are so excited that we got a Pixar weekend but after we got a throwback weekend to old Disney races that had been retired not that they were going to necessarily do that again i really thought we were getting guardians i thought we were going to get a guardians weekend uh, at a spring surprise
1: especially because it's coming out on May 5th it's it, the promo is going to be released all through spring
0: and the other thing is with Epcot celebrating its 40th anniversary oh yeah next year I thought maybe it would be very Epcot centric maybe we'd get a Dreamfinder medal maybe you'd get a horizons medal Getting a Pixar Spring Surprise to me is no different than getting a Pixar virtual run series for the summer. Um, Will I run them? Probably. But I'm not rushing to sign up for these races. This is more like, if I get in on late registration, so be it. I'm not busting down the door to do the Toy Story 10-miler because it's a Buzz Lightyear medal.
1: Yeah, and I mean... What I was wondering is the artwork that they released, is that going to be the medals?
0: Yeah, those are the medals.
1: There's nothing that's really cool about them. And my first thought initially was, you know, if it's Pixar, why didn't you do the Incredibles? Because Dash makes sense for running. But I just realized, I'm looking at the medals right now. They just did that in 2018, I think. It was the whole... Yeah. Incredibles.
0: When the second film came out.
1: Right. So you had all four medals were Incredibles themed. Um, so I, I get why not to include them. The point is, being that you just did Pixar, why not do something else? And I realized, too, that Run Disney is not technically a Disney company. It is a separate events team that puts them on. Like, where is your cross promotion at? Come on.
0: Yeah. Um. I'm like, it's cool, but this reaction that people are having. Like, I got so many text messages today. This is amazing. And the thing was, though, I was at work. So all I was getting were the previews of OMG, spring surprise. OMG, this is awesome. OMG, take my money. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, I can't wait. When I opened it, I was like, this is it. But I got like five or six different text messages today. And apparently I am in the minority of people that is just not all that enthusiastic about this. I think there were so many other opportunities, especially for Epcot 40. Yeah. Because all of the races start and end at Epcot. The only one that didn't this past Spring Surprise Weekend was the 5K, was the Everest 5K. But that's because that was... A retired Animal Kingdom race, and we realized very quickly we remembered why they stopped doing that race. It was a cluster, you know what? So if they're all going to so narrow those, if they're all going to stand start and end at Epcot anyway, I don't know why you wouldn't just do something for the fortieth.
1: Yeah, that's like a huge miss.
0: But we want to know if you are excited for the uh, Run Disney Spring Surprise Weekend and will you be signing up? Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on verbal or your podcast platform of choice. Be sure to follow us on all of that social media Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. I gave you the email address monorealradio at gmail.com. And for links related, to everything that is monoreal radio that is going to be online at monorealradio.com for Jackie I'm Sean have a magical week everyone on behalf of monoreal radio we'd like to thank you for joining us we'll see you at the movies the stuff dreams are made of